Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today, we have a five things Friday feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Each week, we talk about five things related to recovery, whether that is five steps to improve body image, five annoying food and body comments, or today's topic of five words that sabotage and hold you back in your recovery. The words we use have so much power. They not only create emotions, they create actions. And from our actions flow the results of our lives. So we must be very cognizant of how we communicate to ourselves and others. Ultimately, the words we choose can imprison us or set us free. Now, you may not even realize it, but you could be using words that are hindering your recovery. The more you use these words, the more you deepen neural pathways that keep you stuck in an eating disorder. But the opposite is true as well. You can replace those words with recovery supporting terms that help empower you to grow and heal. In this episode, you'll learn five words that hold you back and sabotage your recovery. And most importantly, we'll be giving you substitute words, words that you can replace them with that you can use instead. After listening to this show, I encourage you to read more about this topic at recoverywarriors.com. Every podcast episode that we do has an associated article with other suggested reading in it. So this isn't like these bland show note pages where it's like bullet points, what you'll learn. No, you have a full length article with everything that you learned in the show there for you to recall and remember back on, share with people, bookmark, add to your Pinterest board, whatever you do to gather your knowledge. So if you want to remember the words and the very important substitutes that you can use, click on the article below in the show description box. And if you're not subscribed to this show yet, make sure you do so you can stay up to date on all the episodes that we release every week to support you in your recovery. Our featured wisdom sharing for this episode comes from Team Recovery Warriors. And I'm just so proud of my talented team of warriors. Each member has a personal experience of battling an eating disorder and unique skills that they combine with their passion for helping others to find recovery. Today, we have Madeline, Minaya, Miriam, and Andrea with us. Hi, everyone. My name is Minaya. I'm the director of marketing here at Recovery Warriors team. And I'm responsible for helping our warriors connect to our resources and discover our educational programs. I am Madeline. I am the brand designer and I'm responsible for making our company vision come to life and build connections in our community to share all of our resources. My name is Miriam and I'm the chief editor, which means I'm responsible for all the editorial content on Recovery Warriors. 
Hi, I'm Andrea. I am the podcast producer for Recovery Warrior Shows, and I am responsible for scheduling guests and ultimately growing our network of shows. So now that you met the team, let's dive in. And before we do that, I just want to remind you something that I say very often on this show. Self-awareness is our first step towards breaking patterns that bind us. We must have self-awareness in order to change. So as we go through these five words that hold you back in your recovery, start to bring awareness to how you use them in your life. So once you get through the episode, start to be aware of your day-to-day thoughts, the way you communicate to yourself and to others. And as a total self-proclaimed word nerd, I am just so excited for you to listen to this show. So let's get started. Number one, never. Now, never is a super common word. And we just love to say like, I'm never going to recover. It's often a word that we throw out when we're not feeling optimistic or maybe we're feeling defeated. Like we've tried so hard again and again, and we're at the same place. And so the word never can creep into your vocabulary. They can just fly out of your mouth like, I'm never going to be able to do this. I would often say it in some way to try to buffer any expectations because I have tried so much that I felt like, well, if I just say never, then I'm not really going to like set myself up for feeling disappointed again. Uh, but the, you know, the issue with that is then you never allow yourself to really try or to believe that it can happen. So with this word never, how has this come into your guys's recovery? And how was it something that would sabotage your recovery, hold you back? And then how did you work with that? Well, for me, I think never was one of my, I guess, favorite words in when I had my eating disorder in the sense that it was always, I was never going to graduate. I was never going to find a job. I was never going to recover. I would, my weight gain would never stop. That was another fear I would really have in recovery from anorexia. And so I think for me, really what it What helped me change that was by, I mean, I guess talking to my therapist about it and her telling me that it was the wrong attitude, the more I would say never, it really wasn't going to happen because I also wouldn't make any efforts to make it change because it was very easy to stay stuck in this like eating disorder cycle and be like, well, you know, I I miss my mealtime, but you know, I'm never going to recover anyway. So why would I even try So for me, it really helped by just trying to shift that more towards telling myself like, well, I want to recover and I'm trying hard to recover. I'm learning to find ways to recover. I'm, you know, working really hard towards my grades in grad school. And actually I have all these A pluses. So why would I never recover? It doesn't even make any sense. There's no logic here. So trying to be more, yeah, really like talk back to that inner voice, I guess, helped me to shift that. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that. Although for me, I feel like my my mind, even the first thought that I had, the, the thought that I had a lot while I was um, really in my eating disorder was also, oh, I can never gain weight. It was this like fear of gaining weight, but it was like, that can just never happen. And when I reflect on that now, it's kind of like this word never, it really creates like a closed mindset. And then there's zero capacity for change. If you can never graduate or never recover or never gain weight, then you're implying that everything should just stay the exact same all the time. And that's never going to, never going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> to change that wording, I think is, is so powerful because you can start changing the narrative in your head too. Totally. It definitely touches on something we've all 
covered already, which I think is super common, especially early in recovery, is like feeling like you can never recover, that it just can't happen for you, or that it can happen for other people, but not for me for some reason. I'm different. And I think something that really fueled that in my experience was like living in a larger body because there it's getting a little better, but seven years ago it wasn't as great and there's still a long way to go now. But there was a lot less representation about not only recovering from an eating disorder in a larger body, but having an eating disorder in a larger body. And that's still a big misconception in the general public is people assume that there's a look to an eating disorder and that's not the case. And that fueled a lot of my insecurities about being able to recover. I thought, do I even really have an eating disorder because I live in a larger body? And just having less examples of people recovering who do live in larger bodies. But what helped is eventually finding those resources and finding those examples. There are people out there in larger bodies living in recovery, um, rejecting diet culture, sharing their stories. And that was really big and helpful for me and made me feel like, okay, like I am valid in this experience of having an eating disorder and being in a larger body and pursuing recovery. It is possible. That was hard, but it's something that I did eventually overcome. And it's still something, you know, like you face more from the outside world. Like I reveal to someone that I've lived with an eating disorder and they're like, oh, you don't look like it. <laughs> like, okay, well, yeah. And then I'm, I feel secure now where I'm in a place where it's like, yeah, well, actually there's no look to an eating disorder, common misconception. Like I can educate now. And um, yeah, I know that it is, it is possible to recover and eating disorders happen no matter what your body size well, I love that you mentioned that because there's also the like internal, like I'm never going to be seen for my struggle. I'm never going to be be able to have that representation or be able to to have that validation. Essentially, that's another way that never can creep in. I'm never going to be loved by this person in my life. or I'm never going to be treated the way I want to be treated by someone, a family member or someone close to me. And so, yeah, all of these ways that we can just apply that we know the future really limits what you're saying, like the possibilities that can come in order for our future self to expand and to move into this new way of being and doing and living, that never word really can hold you back. It can really just kind of stifle any growth. So I think you guys had some good options of words to say instead. But if you find yourself saying, I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to be seen or I'm never going to be, never will be able to do this, is I'm open to is another way of saying I'm open to being seen. I'm open to seeing what happens with my body as I recover. I'm open to believing that this is possible. Another is can be I'm learning. I'm learning to to be seen. I'm learning to show up in a different way. I'm learning to try new things. I'm learning to believe in myself and that recovery is possible. So these can be ways to literally just substitute the word I'm never with I'm open to or I'm learning. And this is a way for you to start to strengthen that recovery voice as opposed to using it to limit your potentiality or limit yourself. This can lead to, as Madeline was saying, more of a growth mindset and it's less absolute and it opens you up to more possibilities that you probably didn't even dare to allow before. All right, so now let's move on to our next word that sabotages and holds you back in your recovery. Number two, should. 
Now, this one is a big one, should. I always say, don't should on yourself, because when you are shooting, I should do this, I should be like this, I should have more. It's just like you are literally poo-pooing all over yourself because it has such these connotations of not being good enough in this moment, right? It can be kind of this self-imposed laceration that you're putting on yourself that you need to do something different, be something different. So how did this should creep up when you were in your recovery? How did it sabotage you and hold you back? And then how have you been able to work with it? So for me, I think should, it's actually, I think still a thing I'm working on on a daily basis as a mom too. But the should thing is really like, I should have done this. I should have listened to my body. I should have followed up on what my therapist said. And it, everything you're not doing and you shoot yourself really leads to that feeling of like shame and guilt and feeling like so bad about yourself. And it's not motivating you to do anything different either because it's just telling you like, well, should have done it, didn't do it. I'm bad. I might as well stay bad. And in this mindset of feeling shame and guilt. So I think for me, and still to this day, I'm working on this, uh, like I said, as a mom, is this where I'm saying like, well, I should, I could have done that, or it would be helpful if I would have done that. And I didn't, but I'm going to try again tomorrow. Or I could have done the laundry today. I didn't because I was working and spending time with my kids. So laundry will be there tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Like I think to be more forgiving towards yourself in and, and, and more open to the fact that you don't have to do everything at once or have to do everything that you think you should be doing can be helpful for this. Yeah, I I totally, totally agree with that. And I also agree with the fact that it's kind of an ongoing learning. I think a lot of us that go through eating disorders are also people pleasers. And so for me, that's where the should often creeps in. So, oh, I should, you know, go to this event, right? I should, uh, you know, have that conversation or I should, whatever it is, right? A million, a million things. And I, as Miriam said, I think what it, what ends up happening is when we do that and we bring in all of this guilt and all of the shame for, because should implies that I'm either not doing it or I don't want to for whatever reason. But in my mind, I'm telling, the story I'm telling myself is I'm supposed to though. In doing that, I'm not really honoring my needs. I'm honoring sort of this whatever else like, oh, well, I'll, I'll be unreliable if I don't go to that event or if that narrative kind of continues. And so I think to take a step back to acknowledge myself first, hey, again, Maddie, you're worthy, your needs matter. And yes, I agreed to go to this event and and does have to be but and at the same time right now, I'm feeling really exhausted. I'm feeling really tired and I deserve to change my mind. So I'm going to cancel. And that doesn't make me a generally unreliable person. Things happen, things change, we're all human. I think that's a much better way of going about it. And it definitely makes for an experience that feels, yeah, just more pleasant and more pleasant within yourself, within your relationship to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm recovering from perfectionism. So for me, the word should is definitely a big one. And I got better. Like I... I still need to work on it, but now I'm much faster in grasping when I'm shooting myself. Like, you should have done this. You should have done better. You should have worked harder. You should have. So when I'm shooting myself, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm not accepting reality as it is. Life should be different. I should be different. Things should be different. Well, things are the way they are, no? And 
I'm doing my best. I can do what I can and the rest is not up to me. So having some compassion in those moments where I, I believe that I did not do enough or that I wasn't enough and, and accepting that things are, are just as they are right now, I think that's that's been helpful for me. And also when I'm shooting myself, I, I realize that I also shoot on other people, no, in a way like I expect things from other people, no? Like I expect people should be doing these things for me, saying these things for me. And you 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 can't change people. You can't I mean people are gonna do whatever they wanna do. It doesn't matter if you tell them to do it or not. They're just gonna do whatever they decide. So you're putting on them that responsibility to to be the way you think they should be no so it's not good for me it's not good for people around me either so I'm just trying to eliminate that word actually from my vocabulary and instead of should I I focus on my goal or or what I want what I should be doing this thing I try to say well I want to do this thing because this is gonna make me feel better I will like to, I would like to go to this place because I'm going to enjoy it or whatever it is. But that doesn't feel like an obligation. It's something that I choose to do because I want to do. One thing that I battled with for the first few years of recovery was feeling like I should be recovered by now. Like it's been X amount of time. Why am I not recovered yet? And it's a years long journey. Sometimes it's lifelong. Um, you know, there's the whole discussion of in recovery versus fully recovered. That's a different discussion for a different day. But no matter which way you look at it, it takes time and there is no set timeline. And that was the hardest thing for me. It's like, oh my God, I've, I was kind of tactical about recovery. Like, okay, I'm doing this structured program. I'm reading these books. I'm doing these worksheets. Why are we not there yet? (laughs) Why am I not done? So feeling like I should be recovered was really hard and just embracing the fact that it takes time and that's okay. And also not being black or white about it, like feeling like, oh, I should be recovered. Bam, I want it to be better immediately. Well, it's not a black and white process. So looking at the gray area helps with the should language as well around that. So that was a big part because should is very absolute, but very few things in life are that absolute. The cool thing about starting to work this word out of your vocabulary is it's completely possible. I've done it as an experiment where you just, you do not have to say the word should. You could completely remove that word and replace it with, it would be nice. Anytime you would say the word should, it would be nice. It would support me or it would be helpful if. And then you can check in with what your body says if you actually say this because you may not actually want to do it. You should be doing it just as Madeline was saying about the people pleasing or that you think you need to do this. I should be at this weight or I should be like even societal shoulds of how you should look. I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't be aging. What the F? Like, how are you supposed to live if you don't age? I mean, so this idea of what we shouldn't be or shouldn't have like as a part of our experience is just pushing it away, right? So when you can embrace that it would be nice or it would support me or it'd be helpful if, and then check in with yourself and feel into that, is that a truth? Because if it's not a truth, then you don't have to really do it. You don't 
have to do a lot of these things that you think you should do. And you really want to check in with what do you want to do. And that may mean setting boundaries. That may mean saying no. And I had to really work with myself on feeling like, oh, I failed because I didn't do this perfectly. And what's more important for me is showing up for the things that I want to be working on, that I want to be filled with energy that expand me, not contract me. So with the word should, you can 100% remove it from your vocabulary, try it out, give yourself a week and replace the word should with it would be nice, it would support me, or it would be helpful if. Those are three different options that all work as substitutes for the word should. All right. So this now brings us to our next word that sabotages and holds you back in your recovery. Number three, I don't know. Now, this word isn't around like, I don't know the answer to something or I don't know what time it is. Like there can be fact-based things you actually just don't know and you want to own up to that. So you're not trying to pretend that you know everything, right? So this comes in more where, where you don't own your truth or you outsource it to somebody else. So what are you? what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to eat tonight? I don't know. What do you want to eat? That can be a really common thing to just throw it back on somebody else to have them make the choice for you, them make the decision for you. And it can be easier in the moment, but when you start to outsource that or what do, what am I hungry for? I don't know. You're not allowing your true intuitive voice to step in and say, hey, I do know, or I'm searching for the answer. At this moment, I'm open to figuring out what I do want. But when we say, I don't know, can close us off, make us feel like we're this helpless thing that doesn't know, doesn't have the answer, and it can really disempower you. Absolutely. Totally agree with what you're saying, Jess. I feel like for me, this one is a little more, I think in my eating disorder, I was so like not part of anything. I would hold off on all social engagements. Like I wouldn't try to, I would really block out my friends who were trying to be helpful. So, but like, as I was recovering, I really would do this a lot. And even in the early stages of like my relationship with my now husband, I would do this where I would feel like kind of insecure and be like, Oh, I don't know. Like literally we would be on the road and he would be like, okay, let's get something to eat, go on Yelp and find something. And I'd be like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I want. And, and he would, and I would literally the example you gave, you just said, mentioned just let him choose. Typically, you do kind of know what you want, or even you have a sense of what you're feeling for, or what you're hungry for. I think it's that insecurity or low self-esteem, what you're trying to change and really to own your own needs and own your own truth. And so for me, it's been really helpful to be more honest with myself and be like, you know, I want pizza right now. So that's what we're going to get. Or if someone else opts for something else, be like, okay, we can get two different things. So just try to allow yourself to be more honest towards what you want in that moment. Yeah, that's so, so important. This belittling, I guess, is a little bit what's happening, right? When you're saying that you that you don't know. And for me, it's a bit of a slippery slope. But one of the narratives that I had when I was really in my eating disorder was this thing of like, oh, I don't know how to stop. So especially some of these behaviors I was engaging in that I didn't like or that were clearly impacting my life in a in a very negative way. 
And I would just kind of be like, oh, I don't know how to stop, which yes, on the one hand might be true. I maybe didn't know how to stop, but I think that the crux of it is also like, if, if it just stops there, well, I don't, I don't know how to stop. Well, then I guess I'll just keep going. You know what I mean? Like, no, that, I mean, either it's that or it's what I want to stop. So how can I figure out how to stop? What are steps that I can actively take right now to figure out how to stop rather than just sitting here saying, well, I don't know how to do that. Totally. And that's our company core value. Everything is figure outable. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm stumped. <laughs> just because you don't know in that moment doesn't mean you can't know in the future. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. For me, I think, I don't know, it's, it's connected to vulnerability. Because I feel that for, for a long time, I, whenever someone asked me what's going on with you, like they, they, they would feel that was something was strange in my energy and, or, or how I was behaving. And they would ask me what was going on or someone would say something to me and it would upset me and they would ask, hey, what's going on? And I would immediately reply, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure. It must be whatever. I would just make something up or just say I wouldn't know. And it's just an armor that I was putting on me because I didn't want to be vulnerable and I didn't want to say really what was going on. And I didn't want to upset, upset the other person and tell her or him, hey, this thing that you said to me, I didn't like it. This, this, this thing hurt. And, and I would like you not to say that anymore. But because I didn't want to say that out loud, I would just keep it to myself. And the thing is, when you reply that instead of saying what you truly want to say, you're not in your truth. And that also creates this distance with the other person. The other person cannot help you if they don't know what's going on with you. The other person cannot will not stop saying that thing that hurts because they don't know <laughs> that it hurts. So if you want them to stop, if you want something to change, if you want people around you to really see you and help you, you, you got to say what you're truly feeling and, and own that truth. And instead of saying, I don't know, say, hey, this is what's going on. And it, it's okay. When you say it out loud, it feels so relieving and it actually is not that hard. It feels much harder when you're thinking about it when, than what you, when you say it out loud. Mm, I love that. Yeah, the truth feels lighter. That is true. Like when you can really open up to like your truth, there is this lightness. It may be like scary and all of that, but it, when you're not living your truth, it feels heavier, right? It feels like you're being burdened by something. And what you're saying here too, I remember someone close to me was saying like, it's like smoke signals when you're just trying to like, I don't know, like in the setting, the smoke signal, like, and like, they're like, really, I don't know what that is. Like, yeah. And you start you being know? like passive aggressive and stuff like that. And it's like, it's obvious that there's something going on with you. So just tell me, you know, stop saying, I don't know. And just say what's going on. One thing you can replace, I don't know with is what I know is. So in the example of, you know, Miriam driving and not knowing what to eat or like, I don't know what we should eat. And maybe you didn't know at that moment, like pizza sounds good because you're still working on food choices and like what, what feels intuitive for you or what feels like would be satisfying. But like what I know is my hunger level is here or what I know is I'm feeling I don't want this. Even just allowing yourself to express what comes out from that. Like 
when you open up the sentence with what I know is what comes out of your mouth and just trust that you can start to say what I know is I don't have the answer yet. Like what I know is I'm still working on deciding what that's going to be like. But that allows you to have more power and autonomy and just taking back that you're not outsourcing that out to someone to make the decision for you. You're owning up to what I know is I need to find more information. What I know is I can't make this decision yet. And even though that doesn't allow you to be super assertive and this is what I want, this is what's going to happen. It's just allowing you to open up to I'm working on this. I don't just, I'm not just going to drop it into someone's plate or just drop it there and saying, I don't know. Trust what comes out of your mouth. And with time and practice, you can drop the what is entirely and just go with what you do know. Now to our next word that sabotages and holds you back in your recovery. Number four, I'm sorry. Now, obviously there's times in your life where you want to say, I'm sorry if you did something wrong, you hurt someone's feelings and you, and you really have this empathic approach to wanting to mend anything. But this is where I'm talking about this overuse of the word sorry, like just even for speaking or for having an interaction in the grocery store where you bump into someone or heck, they bump into you and you're sorry for them bumping into you. It's just always saying sorry. And I see this so much more common in women where literally before talking, it's, oh, I'm sorry. Or I'm sorry, I have a point. I ha- Oh, I'm sorry, I have a voice. And it's literally just apologizing for being and taking up space. And this is what I'm curious to see how you've been able to just notice in yourself, how you've been able to work with it. Because I think it, once again, is a disempowering word to always be apologizing for being, apologizing for talking, apologizing for having a voice. Absolutely. I think I actually still do this a lot. And I remember, Jessica, you and I talked about this not that long ago. I noticed it with friendships or exactly like you said, in the grocery store literally happened to me yesterday. I had two kids in the grocery store and someone bumped into me. It was like, oh, sorry, sorry. Don't, sorry for being here. Sorry for being in the way. So I, I can relate to that. And I think it's something for me that I probably personally have to still work on and can improve in. I am trying to be more aware of when I'm doing this. Like, am I saying sorry because I did something wrong? Am I, is this like an appropriate time and place to say I'm sorry? Because like you said, there is ways or times in our lives where we have to apologize when we do like hurt someone's feelings or, you know, we're supposed to be somewhere at one, but we show up a half an hour late. Like I think then it's appropriate to say, I'm sorry. I think, what happens a lot is where, you know, someone texts you, you don't text them back immediately. And you're supposed to say, so sorry for not texting you. I think what you can try to do then more is be like, you know, thank you for your patience. I was already asleep last night. But yeah, that sounds like a great plan or whatever they're asking you to do in the text message. Oh, man, I feel like there's so much to, to say about I'm sorry. Definitely a big one for me too. I mean, I'm also Canadian. So I feel like that's like our our trademark uh, stereo stereotype. Oh my God. <laughs> Madeline, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I'm Canadian and I'm sorry. And Canadian culture is like, it's kind of a different ball game, but there, it, it still applies. But I had the same thought. I'm like, I wonder if Madeline's going to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, again, maybe that, you know, that's another discussion. Is that appropriate? But I totally agree. I think it, you know, all of these words, they influence sort of the narratives that were, that, that, that are going on in our head about ourselves. And when we're always saying that we're sorry, it's kind of like, 
we're putting the other person almost like above ourselves. So for me, with the with the sorry, I think definitely also the the people pleasing aspect kind of comes in, where it's hard also to be okay with somebody else maybe not being so happy or being upset at something. Not that that's always the consequence, right? But I think for me, often the sorry comes from that place. Oh, sorry, I didn't get back to you. Well, it's because I'm scared that maybe they'll get mad because I I didn't get back to them. And so to really stand my own ground, kind of like Miriam said, instead to be like, hey, thank you so much for, for being so patient, you know? And another sort of thought that comes to my mind too is also this idea of like justification. So that's something I'm actively working on too, is A, to not say sorry so much, but to also not, have that big trail of, uh, oh, well, you know, it's because, oh, I did this and I'm so busy, but but yeah, let's definitely do it. Like, no, I don't owe you a justification. I can thank you for, you know, I appreciate that. And now let's move on. I feel like it's almost like a bad habit we have and, and we're not even aware that we're saying it, right? And and as women, we, mostly women, we, we tend to say sorry so much. Like we have to to, to be sorry for being women and, and, and for being here and, and, and it just doesn't make sense. So for me, it's not such a big one. I don't think I say it that much, but I'm really aware actually when other people say it and when they say it and in the situation, I don't feel like there's nothing for them to be sorry. For me, it, it's, it sounds like there's something there that is like, eh, what, what, what's going on here? Like, there's there's nothing for you to be sorry for. And I even feel bad. Like, I feel like, hey, it's everything is fine. It's, it's okay. You, you don't need to be sorry for this. So it's important to bring awareness to when you use it and why you use it. And yes, use it when you, you there's a reason to apologize for, but not because you feel inadequate or because you feel that you're not good enough or that you don't want to upset the other person so yeah bring awareness to when you're using that word and use it intentionally that's so interesting um and i that you say that i love that perspective of like how you said it it almost makes you also uncomfortable if somebody's using that word in such a context where it's like well wait there's no reason and it's so ironic you know because at least for me from my perspective coming at it where it's like well, really, I'm trying to make you more comfortable, but what I'm really doing is making it more uncomfortable because <laughs> we're all just not really being honest, you know? So I love that you brought that in. Yeah, and, and everyone is like tiptoeing and, and it does make the situation feel more awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think context is important for when you say I'm sorry. Like, as Jessica suggested, when you make a mistake and you want to be accountable, I'm big on that. I'll be like, I'm sorry, that was my mistake. I apologize. That's healthy. But especially as women, like Manaya touched on, it's ingrained in women, especially just to say I'm sorry for anything and everything. <laughs> and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it's reasonable. Sometimes it's not. And that's something I definitely still have to work on. An example from just this morning, my friend that I'm staying with here in Canada, I'm, I'm from Canada. I live in the US. I'm visiting Canada right now. I'm all over the place. It's kind of complicated. But my friend, her dog got into some chocolate. And she had to rush the dog to the vet to induce vomiting. And as she's going out the door, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry like that this is going on. But I think what I mean from that, and this is another thing I can try and apply in the future, is like I 
have empathy for the situation or like, that's my intention with the words. But when you say I'm sorry in ways that it doesn't make sense, it does. Yeah, it might make people feel uncomfortable. And she was kind of stressed and didn't really say anything to that. And I'm thinking like, why did I say I'm sorry? That didn't, that wasn't quite right. But it's, yeah, context and being mindful of how you use sorry is important, I think. Yeah. In some ways, when you say like, I'm sorry, it's like you're taking ownership for the experience of that. Like, like you didn't give the chocolate to the dog. Yeah. So just saying like, wow, this must be really hard. Like I'm here for you. That is different. Than yeah. like, I'm sorry that like, you know, I didn't slip the dog, the chocolate. Like, yeah. Like it sucks that this happened. I feel yeah. for you is that was my intent anyway. <laughs> and technically, you know, in that situation too, again, a little bit to the point of Manaya and of course context is important, but like, also what we're doing a little bit in that situation is then now putting it on the other person to tell us that it's okay. You know, I'm right. so sorry. Oh, it's okay. You know, and now we're actually putting that on somebody else too. So to kind of be aware of that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I love the way we've kind of looked at different dimensions of receiving the sorries, giving the sorries. <laughs> I know too, like another way with, I'm sorry. It's not exactly, I'm sorry, but I remember when I was playing volleyball in high school, I was the captain and I was the setter, which meaning I was the one who got the second ball all the time. Like I was the one who kind of directed the plays. And I would always say if someone like the team would mess up, not even me, I'd be like, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. And it was like something I just take on that like I'm responsible <laughs> for all of this to to be successful. And and I realized that retrospectively, like, wow, you know, I was taking on all of this. That wasn't even my fault. Like, I didn't pass that ball. I didn't hit it out of the thing. But I'm going to try to take that on as my problem and that I created it and caused it. So just noticing when like that, I'm sorry or my bad, I, you know, I'm responsible for this because you're you're not, right? You're not responsible for a little interaction in the grocery store where you guys both took the same route and and bumped into one another. And other ways that you can work on this, other words you can say instead of I'm sorry, is just say thank you with somebody. Like how Miriam said, like, thank you for your patience, or I appreciate your patience. I appreciate you waiting. If you bump into someone, I say hello now, or whoops, you know, something like that, like, hello. And that's just a nicer way of saying, I'm sorry. It's just, hello. (laughs) And they're kind of like, oh, hi. (laughs) We're we're both walking in the exact same spot. And another thing with these subtle shifts of really starting to own, like when is an appropriate time to say sorry, you end up speaking more confidently. You can have a stronger presence and you can start to be more appreciative and saying like, wow, thank you for for waiting. And another thing to also look at in this day and age, when we are bombarded with emails and texts, like people used to have to mail this stuff. People used to have to ride horses to deliver letters back in the day. And now it's like a legit like millisecond that it can arrive in your inbox or your text message inbox. And you do not have to respond. You aren't responsible. Once again, you aren't responsible to have to respond to every freaking person who contacts you in an unrealistic standard of time. And so just kind of starting to realize I don't have to apologize that I didn't get back to somebody right away. It's okay. They can wait. Thank you for your patience. I appreciate you waiting. And once again, with Madeline saying, you don't even have to justify it. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. I'm so happy to be talking to you now. And with all these words, it's about self-awareness. What Manaya was saying is just noticing it. First and foremost, you always have to be aware of how these words are coming out of your mouth and how you're receiving them from other people. So that's always where the change happens is first through that self-awareness. Okay, now to our final word that sabotages and holds you back in your recovery. 
Number five. I wish. Now, this one kind of can seem harmless. Like, I wish. Oh, I wish I could do that. I, I wish that I could be recovered. And in some ways, when you say it, you're clearly stating a desire. That you're, you're knowing what you want. But this I wish kind of leaves it out in this distant future of not necessarily having to materialize through your action steps. So I find wish can be a little watered down in actually making something happen in your life. So yes, we can have a desire and then how do we make it happen as opposed to a wish? Oh, that would be nice. I would, you know, I wish that that could happen. I wish that I could be that type of person. And I think that once again, doesn't really allow you to start to take the ownership of becoming that person. So how did you find the word wish show up in your life and in your recovery? And how did it hold you back? For me, I sort of have two thoughts on this again, sort of the two perspectives. On the one hand, you know, for me, my experience in my recovery, it would go hand in hand with this narrative of like, oh, I wish I could stop. I wish I could get better. And I feel like what that does, though, it, it just creates this like lack of, of confidence and trust in yourself. It's kind of like, I wish, but me, you know, I'm, I'm not because I don't know, I can't, I'm not capable, I, I'm not able. So definitely to find different words to, to say, you know, I, I want to try and figure this out. I want to try and work on this. I want to, I want to learn this, whatever it is. And then on the other side, though, another thought that kind of came to my mind is something that I actually get a lot in the last few years. I've gotten it a lot uh, ever since starting yoga. And I practice quite vigorously, um, at least all aspects, but the physical aspect as well. And uh, I have a social media account. And of course, I post pictures. And I get a lot of the time this uh, sentence where people are like, oh, oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, I, I wish I had your strength. I always struggle with that. I'm always, I, there's a part of me that kind of feels annoyed because I'm kind of like, well, but you, you, you can, if you want to, like what I, it's hours of practice that I'm spending to, to get to this point. I'm not just waving my wand and, and now here I am living this life, you know? No, I actually thought about what I want. I'm taking action. It's not always easy, but I do it. And now I'm happy with where I am. So yeah, just to kind of bring in that that other side too, you know, when people say it to you, the effect that that can have as well. I resonate with what you said, Madeline, so much because I, I traveled for a few months. I was traveling solo and in Indonesia and around Asia. And during that time of my life, people used to tell me a lot, I wish I could have your life. I wish I could be traveling now. I'm, I'm doing this job that I don't like. I'm doing whatever they were doing. And I wish I could be doing that. And I would think, oh God, but <laughs> you can. <laughs> I mean, don't wish. If you want to do it, you can. And it is annoying because sometimes like, yeah, there's you see the good parts, but it's not only, there's there's also the, the, the loneliness that you feel when you're traveling alone. There's the, the, the feeling of, feeling lost like there's there's all these good things and there's all these things that are not so good too and that I'm going through so I, I didn't like when they would say that and it also feels like when you say I wish it's like you're taking off the ownership of, of your desires as if you're not the one who's gonna go after after it if you really want something you're the only one who has to take action. So instead of saying, I wish I could get this, why don't you take that desire in that moment and that momentum to go after it, to put some, you know, create a plan. I'm, I'm really, I'm a Capricorn and I'm really earth. So I like to, 
create plans and do things and go after it and, and, you know, follow a structure. It doesn't need to be that way. You can do it however it works for you. But if you really want something, then you got to go after it. No one is going to bring it up to you like, hey, here's your wish. <laughs> there you have it. So stop saying I wish and take that as an opportunity to really go after what you want. I love that. I love the Capricornness. <laughs> go get her. Yeah, this conversation with the term I wish, it just makes me think of like, the grass is always greener on the other side. Like you're always going to wish for something and people might be wishing for what you have. And one thing for me particularly during my eating disorder and for a long time during recovery was just wishing for a different body. And you know, that's common when you have an eating disorder, you want to look a certain way or you you value thinness because society or in my case, society and family put a lot of emphasis on that. So it was just like, I wish I was skinny. If I'm skinny, life will magically be perfect. You know, that's super common. And after years of recovery and detaching my worth and my value from my appearance and my body size and really kind of going neutral with that has helped a lot. And also kind of what Manaya said, I've had some similar stuff where people comment on like seeing the progress I've made with eating disorder recovery. Also, I'm in recovery from complex trauma and OCD, both of which were severe and debilitating. I've been hospitalized for them and I've come a long way. And I've had people tell me with similar struggles, like, I wish I could do that. And I kind of have the same thought as when I, it's like, well, you can, but that's complicated. That's a whole different beast with mental health is because for years, I also felt like I couldn't. I also wished I could, you know, that's a whole thing you need to unpack if you don't feel like you can. But for a lot of things, it is possible. Sometimes it feels impossible. But just if you take that one little step, baby steps, one small step at a time is what's helped me with all the different things I'm in recovery from. Um, you can get there. Like you just, it's hard though when you're depressed or you don't see it for yourself or you feel like other people can have it, but I can't. So I wish can be tricky. But if you can try and turn that into inspiration rather than a roadblock, it could serve you better. I love that inspiration instead of a roadblock. And I like where the conversation went here because there is this, I wish that things were different in my life. I wish I had that body. I wish I didn't have this childhood. Like I wish I had supportive parents. Now, but this is where I feel like the big spell has to be broken is that when you can accept the body you're in, accept the childhood that you had, accept the parents that brought you up into this world, then it's like, Man, the transformation, because if you think about wish, this is often a common thing in fairy tales, like you have three wishes or this wish will be granted. And, and this is when the illusion can drop, when you can start to just say, this is the body I have and I'm going to do the best with it. This is the cards that I got dealt in life and I'm going to do the best with it. That is when your freaking world transforms like no other and you become the transformed princess who like, you know, all of that, like what we're sold in fairy tales and which is external to us, but it's all a transformation within you when you can just say, I own what I am. I accept what I am. So I think there's that side of it, which I love came into the conversation because that wasn't really like what I was thinking about with this word. But obviously that's like a huge component because we can, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. But then this other aspect that we brought into this is the I will. I don't just wish that I can have this. I will take the steps. I will figure it out. I will do what I can do moment by moment by moment, day by day to make progress, to improve, to try to get to where I ultimately want to be. 
And man, patience is of utmost importance in this process because it does take time to to really get to ultimately where you want to be, from where you're at to where you want to be. But when you can be patient with the process, you will be able to get there. And with what Andrea said with healing from complex trauma and from OCD and in addition to the eating disorder, these are like things that have gradual stages. That's another one of our company core values is growth happens in phases. So not to expect it all to just happen overnight because the ultimate wish is yes, the transformation, but the I will is what will get you there because you are doing those steps that will allow you to have that growth. It's a journey. One thing that I've I still tell myself is it did not develop overnight, whatever you're trying to heal from, it's not going to go away overnight. And that logic (laughs) helps ground me when you're feeling impatient. I love that logic. Yes. (laughs) I know if you've been dealing with a limiting belief your whole freaking life, it's like, all right, this one's going to take a little bit of work and time, but I can, I can do it. Awesome. Well, so amazing to talk to you guys about all these different words that can sabotage someone in the recovery, hold them back and how you guys have been able to to one, experience them and start to see the illusion that they are, right? That all these words have other words that you can substitute with, which take you from a disempowered place to an empowered place and allow for more conscious decisions to ultimately shape where you want to get to in life. And now to close this off, everybody just say what your favorite word, empowering word is that you want to bring into, really bring into your awareness. I think for me, it's like, I can. Yes. Yes, I can. I will go with um, I deserve. I think I'm going to go with I will. I want and I will. I'm going to go with I can. I'm capable. I can. I'm going to go with I want. Yes, own my wants. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. You guys are such a great team. And I love hearing all your wisdom and perspectives. So thank you for, for being a part of this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion like the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this warrior. Warrior.